everybody. Nice to see you all. It's lovely to see very friendly faces this morning, despite being behind masks. And good morning, everybody at home. So good to be with you. Good morning to Hannah's parents, if you guys are still listening. What an honor to have you in our service this morning. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited. We're starting a new series. We, we've just finished, in case you haven't, if you missed a week or two, we've just finished, I think it was five weeks in a series that we called One Thing, which I loved. It was, it was very, very powerful. And we were, we were spending time going back to what it's all about, intimacy with Jesus. So if you, if you enjoyed that, just let us know in the chat. Um, I thought Janine was just wonderful last week. If you haven't heard Janine's message from last week, go and check that out. It's honest. It's so transparent. It's, so, it's personal to her, but it's impactful to everyone who hears it. It's just stunning. So today we're starting a new series. If you remember, Jonathan shared at the beginning of the year, this year is marked by these three kind of rhythms, simplify, amplify, multiply. So we're in simplify really until the end of April. And today we're starting a new series called I Lack Nothing. Um, and effectively, from now until that last week of April, we're going to be digging into this notion of lack and how we don't have it <laughs> as followers of Jesus. So all I'm going to do today is really a sweeping overview of really what this means and where we're going. And then in the weeks to come, we're going to get very specific. We're going to talk about day-to-day -day realities that we all experience and the hope is, the desire is that through digging into the scriptures, through practicing the way of Jesus, we'll be a people come springtime that can say of themselves, of their internal world, of their finances, of their relationships, of their marriage and of their singleness, of their ambition, of how they eat, of how they view creation, I lack nothing. So today's going to be kind of a sweeping overview, but in the weeks to come, we're going to get real specific. Um, let's, uh, let's kick off with a scripture that I love. I love the book of James. The book of James doesn't hold back. James brings it and he's, uh, yeah, he's pretty ferocious in his writing. He's realigning and reestablishing in the church really what the main focus should be. I set on Jesus. And right at the beginning, chapter 1, verse 2, he says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Everybody in this room and everybody at home can relate to facing trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I love what Ruth said this morning. Keep going. Keep going. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And for me, this notion of lacking nothing, of being without lack, is really the manifesto of what it means to live in simplicity. If you just say, I live a simple life, really what I perceive from that is you live a life without lack. To live in simplicity is to live a life without lack. And I'm going to share out my journey this morning, what I think are three of like really fundamental principles of the simple life all born from this idea that followers of Christ need not live with lack in their lives. About a month before Eden was born, so it was around May last year, I was in my kitchen, we got like a big white wall, and I was looking at the wall, and it was if someone was writing in real time over the wall, this word simplicity. 
So I was staring at this blank canvas and saw this word simplicity. And Kara came downstairs and I said, babes, I just feel like the Lord is speaking to us about simplicity. And we really spent the rest of the year, May until we're really where we are now, asking ourselves this question of what do it mean for us to live more simply? And for us, it produced something very particular, and for you, it will produce something very particular. You know, for us, it was, it was an investigation into all the areas of our life where we have had a mentality of lack. And lack is so often something that you think of when it comes to resource or money, but it's in every area of your life. I mean, have you ever just woken up in the morning and felt lacking? You got all that you need in a bank account and your cupboards are full with food, but there's something in your soul that just doesn't feel sufficient. And so we, we explored our life and, and dug really deeply into the scriptures. I basically camped out in the Beatitudes all of last year. And anyone who's close to me will have been pretty sick of me talking about it. But the Beatitudes of Jesus, the manifesto of the kingdom, Jesus lays out for, the followers, for his followers what it is to live a simple life. And it changes your Tuesday afternoons and your Thursday mornings. It's not just a Sunday experience. It gets into the fiber of your entire life. And that's what we're hoping to do over this series. So these three principles, and you, if you're a note taker, you can write these down because they're going to be coming back up throughout the next few weeks, I think. These three principles that I want to explore really briefly today about a simple life, about living without lack, would be this. Contentment. Living content. Dependency, living as one who is dependent upon another, contentment, dependency, and abundance. And I think pursuing the simple life, pursuing a life that has been simplified, a life without lack, produces these three things, or at least I've come to find that in myself, and I believe it reading the Gospels, one who is content, one who is dependent, and one who experiences abundance. So let's just kick off with, um, with content. Contentment. This is, this is a word which basically is someone who lives satisfied, someone who's happy, someone who looks at a life and says, all is well. And throughout the New Testament, the writers of the letters keep bringing back to this truth that to follow Jesus is to live a life where deep inside your soul, you are actually content. Theologians have called it the cruciform life. The life that is informed, formed by a meditation upon and a practice of the crucified way of Christ. What does it mean to live as Christ lived? What does it mean to live in the way that he lived and die in the way that he died? What does it mean to give up your life for others? What does it mean to literally study the Gospels and live like Jesus lived, the cruciform life, a life that is deeply content? Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, it's one of my favorite scriptures, it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And so the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith. And this, this is very interesting. It's the only time that I can find in the scriptures where Paul makes the crucifixion personal, right? I live by faith in the one who loves me and gave himself for me. As if Paul is saying, what Jesus did, that was, yeah, I know, for the, for the whole world, no, no, but it was for me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so the life I live in the flesh, I live by what? I live by a constant pursuit 
towards greatness, ambition, a desire to be someone that is marveled by others, applauded by others. No, Paul says, I live by faith, faith in the one who loves me. That's the simplicity of Paul's assurance. I'm deeply loved by Jesus. I'm deeply loved by Jesus. And the evidence of that love is revealed in the cross. This is where the simple life begins. Our level of being content is dependent upon our assurance in what Jesus did for us. It is beautifully described in uh, Brennan Manning's book, Abba's, Abba's Child, in the story that he tells. He saw, talks of this young superstar athlete, this Olympian, in his early 20s. And this Olympian, you know, he's won medals and he's at the gym training and the press have come to the gym to watch him train and they're taking photos and the journalists are standing around and he is the man of the moment. 6'5", ripped, just a mountain of a man. Everybody loves him and they're watching him train. And all the while that he's training in this gym, there's this balding, pot-bellied janitor who's just wiping up the sweat, just cleaning the floors. And all the press are kind of just like barging around him, trying to get closer to the athlete, taking photos. And this little janitor just keeps on sweeping, tidying up the mess. And then later that day, in the story, he says, the young athlete is being honored for his unbelievable achievements in the sporting world. And he gets up on this stage with these bright lights coming towards him. And in the crowd, you've got governors, you've got, you know, sports royalty. They're all sat around this huge, lavish dinner honoring this young star. And he gets up, grabs the mic, looks out to this sea of faces, celebrities and politicians. And he says into the mic, I just wanna thank God for blessing me with all these gifts. And Brennan writes, as his gratitude rings out into the room, it's followed by an undeniable hollowness. And all the while as this incredible event is happening, that pot-bellied, balding janitor is sat in his little room of a house on his bed, which is also his sofa, with the flashing blue lights of the television across his face. And he slowly peels back the plastic on his microwave dinner. And tears begin to fall down his cheeks as he whispers, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I remember reading that and it just so impacted me. It personified Galatians. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. Instead of life, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. And we'll dig more into this in the particulars of it, but there's something about being content which says something is so satisfied within me, I don't need to reach beyond me for fulfillment. There's this difference between owning something and possessing something. It's as if we can be possessed by something in a positive way without owning it. 
you can go to an art gallery or go to an incredible picturesque, you know, landscape scene and possess it. You can stand before beauty and possess it, be enamored by it, be awestruck by it and never own it. Or you can constantly desire to own something as if by owning it, it would satisfy that deep longing and lack within. You hear people all the time talking about going away to less fortunate places, less fortunate in a material financial sense. And they come back and they say, man, they were, they were so full of life and they have so little, you know. And it's a bit of a cliche, but the truth in it is that people that haven't had the option to own a lot of things have learned to possess life in a different way. And that's the sentiment I believe that we're invited into in the cruciform life, where we live in such a state of being content, rooted in the reality that there is nothing out there that's going to satisfy the longings deeply in here. I can't wait to explore that. What does that look like in our relationships? What does that look like in our finances? What does that look like in our physical health? And the question for me is, okay, well, that sounds amazing. How do you get there? How do you become content? You ever been around someone who's content? The whole world just moves slower, and you feel this deep sense of peace and a lot of the time you feel a deep sense of insecurity because you're so aware of the lack of contentment in you. How do you get there? And I think what the scriptures reveal to us, what Jesus shows us is dependency is the starting point towards a life of being content. Philippians 4.10 says this. I think we've got it on the screen. You could put that up. Here we go. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. This is Paul writing. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in every and any circumstance. I have, oh, check this out. This is an amazing subtitle of a book. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I have learned the secret. That's why not everybody lives here. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he comes through with the right hook in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Could it be that that phrase, you know, I know it's a lot of like UFC fighters, John Jones, Hannon, who's got Philippians 13 across his chest. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this is kind of like, I can do anything. You know, I'm, I'm like, I can be the best. But I feel like what Paul's saying here is like, no, no, no. I can do all things. I can actually live in a world where everything would say fulfillment is out there and find it in here. That is the greatest hurdle. And I can do it through Christ who gives, gives me strength. So what I'm saying here, this, this, this point of con being content that we're all so desiring for that stocks the shelves of self-help books, it's possible through Christ who gives us strength. So dependency. This is Jesus in Matthew 6, 26. Jesus' answer to anxiety is one phrase, one word. 
he, he had such a simple approach to the question of worry, and he said this, look up, look up, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? What do I do with my worry? Look up. What do I do with my anxiety? Look at the fields. Look at the flowers. They're being taken care of right now by my Father. He feeds them. They are dependent upon Him. And guess what? With all of your advances, with all of your technology, with all of your abilities, with everything that you can do, all the money that you can make, you have no more capability or capacity than the birds of the air or the flowers of the fields to take care of yourselves. It is all Abba. So when he taught us to pray, he said, Abba, give us today our daily bread. Daily? Why don't you bulk by the provision? Can't we pray Costco prayers? God, give me my monthly bread. Because he knows anything more than a day will bring us out of dependency. You ever feel like that? The cupboards are full for the next month. We're good. No, no, we, we live day to day, just like the birds, just like the flowers, day to day. Unless you live day to day, you really can't be content. Because when you live day to day, you are faced with, and this is, this is something I've been learning all last year, when you live day to day, you're faced with the reality that outside of this present moment, there really is no fulfillment. That our life is made up of a series of now moments. And I have a tendency to live very much in the future. Always thinking that the present is basically just the conveyor belt to where I'm actually going. Not realizing that where I'm actually going is always going to be now. Right? So when we say daily bread, God is saying, be here now. Be here now, aware of your dependency. But check this out. Our dependency isn't groveling. Our dependency isn't Oliver Twist. What's his name? Mr. Bumble from Oliver? Any Charles Dickens fans in the house? Bumble. Mr. Bumble. <laughs> Oliver goes up to him. Please, sir, can I have some more? Oliver is dependent upon Mr. Bumble giving him some porridge. But guess what? We're not Oliver. <laughs> Dependency isn't a posture of an orphan. Dependency is a posture of a child who is unbelievably, without distraction, convinced of who their parents are. I once saw this in the most incredible way when I was a very young boy. We were in Pakistan. We just moved there. We'd been there a few years, so I must have been like four years old, something like that. And we had moved into a new house. And my, my, me and my sisters are in the house, we're playing. And uh, we, we go to the, the window of our front, of the front garden. And literally, it was like one minute it was normal. The next minute, the, the garden was full of families, mums and dads with little kids, all sat on the grass of our garden. So we run to my mom and we're like, mom, there's loads of people just sat on the lawn. What are they doing? So mom goes out and realizes that they're actually refugees from Afghanistan and they're making their way through and they've come to Pakistan and they've just sat down and they're just chilling. They're just hanging out. 
And my mom calls me and my sisters into the kitchen and she starts filling our arms with pans and pots and potatoes and literally everything we have in the cupboards. And we just go out and we give them to them. And it was just a moment I think about so often because they didn't come begging. They didn't even ask for it. They just sat on the lawn and it was given to them. And I said to my mom recently, I said, you taught me in that moment that nothing in our kitchen was more ours than it was theirs. We just happened to have it in our house at that time. And that is the posture that we actually go through life with. Everything that we receive is a gift. And sometimes other people, like John was saying, sometimes our neighbors have had hold of that gift for a little longer than we have. But all of it is a gift, as James says, from the Father of lights, in whom there are no shifting shadows. Every good and perfect thing comes from the Father of lights. That's the best way for me of actually sharing with people about Jesus who don't, who don't know him. Because every good gift comes from him. So any goodness in anyone's life is a gift from a good father. You know how fun it is telling people the origin of the goodness in their life? Because unless you know the origin, you can't have the same well of gratitude for what you've experienced. It's so, John Wesley used to do it. He said, I just go around and I find where the light is in people's life and I tell them the name of the light because Jesus is the light of the world. So people experience wherever there's light is Jesus. So you get to tell people that light in your life has a name. So many times we get equipped to tell people about Jesus by basically telling bad news. There's something wrong with you. This could end really badly for you. Every good and perfect thing comes from him. That's how we get to start the conversation. That was a little... Uh, little segue see where we are in my nose now oh I got a good quote for you this is from Richard Foster's book the freedom of simplicity buy this book it's not from Amazon if you can but from somewhere buy it from a struggling Christian bookstore that's just moved online and have thousands of books in the basement find that place this book will change your life the freedom of simplicity by Richard Foster he says this Jesus Christ and all the writers of the New Testament call us to break free, check this out, break free from mammon lust and live in joyous trust. They point us towards a way of living in which everything we receive is a gift and everything we have is cared for by God and everything we have is available to others when it is right and it is good. This reality frames the heart of Christian simplicity. It is the means of liberation and power to do what is right and to overcome the focus of fear contentment and dependency and the third thing I want to throw in is abundance because that's ultimately what Jesus came to bring he said this I have come to give you life and life in abundance check this out he didn't say I have come to give you an abundance of things and yet so often our spirituality and the expression of our day-to-day -day lives I know for me is geared towards things that abundance must be having more. I live with an insatiable appetite for more. It was my birthday on Friday, and Kara is Kara's eating just incredibly healthy. She she just does. And um, but birthday breakfast comes around. And I, you know, I go in. She said, "What do we want for birthday breakfast?" I said, "I bet I love French toast." So she makes me a full. She gets a full loaf of brioche bread and cooks it up for me. She, I think she had one tiny piece. That was abundance for me. 
I sit down, and there is, I know that this breakfast isn't going to end until I physically cannot eat anymore. I love that kind of meal. But I live in that kind of state. I honestly do. I have for a long time. It's not, it's not like in food necessarily. It's in other areas. This appetite for more. This insatiable appetite for more. Maybe you can relate, or now you're looking at me like, okay, Josh. But I do. I do. <laughs> the Beatitudes have taught me a better way. Jesus in the Beatitudes reveals the answer you're looking for is within. And the apostles only affirm it. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. There is nothing out there that's going to satisfy what is in here. So when Jesus says, I've come to give you life in abundance, it's actually a confrontation with what the world says is, I can give you an abundance of things. Anybody spend a little bit too much money on Amazon at the beginning of lockdown? It was reported, I read it yesterday, that they did 19 billion last year. <laughs> 19 billion, it was their biggest year because we all just thought that we could buy something that would make us feel better about the restrictions that we were facing. But Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 3, I did 10 weeks on this. Um, uh, if, you want, if you want any more on the Beatitudes, send me a little message and I'll, I'll send you some stuff. But Matthew 5, 3, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And poor, the Greek for poor is, is more rooted in our English word, empty. Blessed are those who are empty inside. That sounds really negative, but put it in reverse. Have you ever seen it as a compliment when someone said they're so full of themselves? We can be full of ourselves, and it means you're full of the wrong thing. Jesus is saying, Blessed are those who are empty so that I can fill them up. And Jesus reveals the cruciform life, the way of becoming empty, is by recognizing that we have the audacious opportunity to serve. We have the audacious opportunity to lay our lives down. We have the unrestricted opportunity to love and be kind and compassionate. And as we do so, we empty ourselves of ego and ambition and we are filled with Christ. Oh, it's good. Full of the right stuff. Let me throw you another quote at you just as I bring this to an end. This is again from Richard Foster's book. He said this, joy, not grit, is the hallmark of holy obedience. It says that Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him. So even as we pursue abundance with the recognition that it comes through an emptying of ourselves, it's never lacking joy. It is our joy that we have the opportunity to give ourselves away. He says we need to be lighthearted in what we do. Avoid taking ourselves too seriously. For it is, a, I love this, it is a cheerful revolt against self and pride. Our work is jubilant, carefree, merry, utter abandonment to God, done freely and with celebration. And so I urge you to enjoy the mystery of simplicity, self-surrender. Don't push too hard. Hold this work lightly and joyfully. It is holy. Has anything I've said this morning resonated with you of, ooh, I want to go that way. I want to live there. Maybe Jeff Bezos doesn't have the answer to my cravings. Maybe there isn't enough French toast in the world to satisfy my hunger. Maybe the way of Jesus, the cruciformed life, 
will lead me into an abundance I've always, always desired. And that's why the sermon series has these, these birds. I don't know if you can see it, but it's an illustration of these birds. For the next couple of weeks, these birds will be up here as a reminder that the answer to our desire for, 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 for fulfillment, is there enough? Well, we can just look at who else is being cared for, who else is dependent upon God. And we're going to switch up that image as the series goes on, as more prompts come in, as we focus on different elements of our lives. So that's all for me today, my friends. I hope this has encouraged you. I would love to pray for you as we set sail on this, um, on this adventure into the simple life, the cruciform life, the life hidden and raised with Christ. Amen? All right, let's do it. Jesus, we come before you today and we acknowledge that you show us a better way. We acknowledge that our contentment is directly related to our assurance around what you have done for us. We acknowledge our dependency upon you. We acknowledge that we are not the master of our fates. We are not the captain of the ship, but we live in dependency and in need as a child to a parent. Teach us the way of dependency, God. And lastly, God, we are, you promised us, perissos, abundance, a life that exceeds our expectations, that goes beyond what we could anticipate. God, reveal to us the way of that true fulfillment. Reveal to us the way of that joyful surrender, that denial of self, the ability to live as you did, Jesus, in the moment, present, full of joy and for others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.